So we've been telling you about Walter's Brunch the last few days, but did you know that Walter's also is open for lunch? Monday through Friday, Walter's opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walter's. On Wednesday, Walter's has you covered for dinner time. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Wizards tip at 7, and then the Nats begin at 7.20. And they're coming out again. Strasburg shaking his head after that. Got the new baseballs rubbing it, rubbing up the baseball and shaking his head side to side like, mm-mm, mm-mm. He didn't look comfortable. He didn't look happy. I mean, he looked miserable out there from just the body language and facial expressions. And here we go again with Strasburg and whatever the ailment might be at this point. Zimmerman scalds one to right center field. This is deep. Heredia and Acuna going back, looking up at the wall, and it is gone. Ryan Zimmerman over the wall in right center on the first pitch from Santana. Hits a two-run homer, number six on the season. And the Nationals lead the Braves six to one. The left-hander sets. He delivers. Swing and a drive by Soto. Deep left center field. Back goes Heredia. Way back to the warning track. At the wall. And it is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Soto with his fifth home run of the year. His third hit of the night. This is a two-run blast giving him four runs batted in for the night. And for Soto, that gives him 20 runs batted in for the year. Welcome back, Juan Soto. 409 feet of the estimated distance. And the Nationals are in double digits on the scoreboard. It's Washington 11 and Atlanta 5. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the losing streak is over and the bats busted out, but Steven Strasburg is hurt again. So if you're confused regarding how to feel off what went down on Tuesday night, you're not alone. But the Nats did win an 11-6 victory at the Atlanta Braves in Game 2 of a four-game series. The five-game losing streak is over. The Nats did score 11 runs, did total 14 hits to go with three walks. Juan Soto did homer. All of those things did happen, but Steven Strasburg also exited after an inning and a third. So, Mark, I ask you, was Tuesday night a good night or a bad night for the Nationals? Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to say it was a good night, Al, and here's why. Obviously, it's never good when Steven Strasburg has to leave with an injury. But maybe now we can look at this and say, okay, he's not right. He hasn't been right all along. We've known that. Even when he came back and pitched coming off the injury, 
the first time, he didn't really look as sharp as he's supposed to, as what we've become used to. So at least this was maybe a tipping point where they can say, okay, you're not right. We're shutting you down. We're going to go figure out what this is. Officially, it's a tightness in his trapezius muscle. He's going to get an MRI on Wednesday morning, and they'll see what they do from there. But I think it's safe to say we're probably not going to see him pitching for them for a little while. Certainly not until they figure this thing out. Because he is not the same pitcher, and he hasn't been for almost two years now. So, yes, that's a huge problem in the big picture. And it's hard to see where this team goes without a healthy Steven Strasburg. But they were already playing without a healthy Steven Strasburg. And I think the idea that he was suddenly going to be healthy was probably delusional. So at least now you know, and you can move forward and try to win with somebody else and not constantly in your mind have this, well, is Strasburg going to be all right or not? It's a frustrating thing to have happen, but I'm going to tend to look at this as maybe a positive development because of all the good things that happened in the game, but also at least now they know that something is wrong with Strasburg and they're not trying to convince themselves otherwise. There is no exaggerating the extent to which this Strasburg situation is alarming and frightening if you're a Nationals fan. We'll do more on it coming up. But you know what? We've splashed around in so much negativity lately. I think we should get into the good from Tuesday night, and then we can get into the not-so-good. And yes, the offense, for one night at least, looked like a major league offense. In a game, by the way, that lasted for three hours 54 minutes. Are you coming around at all to seven-inning ball games? Nearly four hours for a nine-inning game on Tuesday night. No, I'm not coming around to seven-inning oh. ball games. I would rather have, you know, pitchers that don't take forever. And, you know, I mean, obviously Strasburg was hurt, but I mean, Max Freed, if not for Steven Strasburg, Max Freed would be the goat of this game by far. 92 pitches in three and two-thirds innings, and he was all over the place. Three wild pitches, his catcher, Contreras had two passed balls. They couldn't do anything right. And that, to me, more than anything, set the tone for this game. And it's why it took so long to play. So, no, I'm not up for seven inning games. I'm up for better pitching and more efficient pitching. Four hours. That's how you appeal to the young fan. A four hour nine inning game on a Tuesday night. Anyway, Nationals offense was great. And Juan Soto was great. Juan Soto, for really the first time this season, had a Juan Soto kind of game, a game in which he stuffed the box score, a game in which he had all kinds of crooked numbers across his line. Juan Soto as a number three batter on Tuesday night goes three for four with a homer, two singles, four runs batted in, and four runs. That's the kind of night we've been begging for, yearning for, from Juan Soto here lately. He finally provides it. One out single in the Nationals, one run third. Two out, two run single in the Nats, four run fourth. A leadoff seven pitch walk in the Nats' three-run seventh, and then the biggest blow, the one-out two-run homer in the top of the eighth. Yes, I said homer. Juan Soto elevated a baseball on Tuesday night. His first home run since May 19th, that moonshot in the win at the Chicago Cubs. Remember, he was down on his left knee. The ball ended up going off the right field scoreboard. We thought that that was the beginning of the bust-out for Juan Soto. How wrong we all were. But Soto does get the homer, just his fifth of the season. Who knows what this means, big picture, But Mark, for at least one night, Juan Soto looked like Juan Soto. It was nice to see. He did, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this actually was the start of something, that this wasn't just a blip on the radar screen because of the way that he did it. The home run was great, obviously, but before that, I thought the key at bat was the fourth inning, the opposite field, two-run single off a fastball from Max Fried. That was classic Juan Soto, driving a ball the other way 
he actually let the ball travel on him, which is something they've been sort of talking about maybe not doing as much, trying to get out in front of it more. Instead, he sort of went back to his old approach, drove it the other way with authority. He was really pleased with that one afterwards. And he said once he did that, he could tell he felt like that felt right. And now all of a sudden he kind of had it back again. Now let's see what happens, you know, the next day or two. But I feel like this was a turning point. And this series potentially is. He's now in the series four for six with three walks, a homer, four RBIs. So that all feels like the real Juan Soto. He, he's not chasing. He's still drawing his walks. He's driving the ball, hitting it the other way for singles, and then elevating it for a home run. That's everything you want to see Juan Soto do. So I'm going to say that I think this actually was a jumping off point for him. And we'll look back at, at this is the night that it came back together for him. Well, to me, he'll be truly back when he grabs his crotch. When we get back to the crotch grabbing, <laughs> then we'll know that Juan Soto is back. We're not there yet, but hopefully we got close. That was a great game for Juan Soto on Tuesday night. It was also a great game for Ryan Zimmerman. I don't know what there is left to say about the season that Ryan Zimmerman is having. He was, of course, out there as a starting first baseman, number four batter, facing a lefty starting pitcher. Two for five with a two-run homer and a double. Two more extra base hits for Zim. A two-out, two-run homer on the first pitch thrown by the Braves reliever Edgar Santana in the game. That came in the four-run fourth, by the way. And then another extra base hit later in the game, a one-out double on an 0-2 pitch in the top of the eighth. That was after the Nats scored their two runs in that top of the eighth, but whatever. Ryan Zimmerman now on the season, 319 batting average, 347 on base percentage, 593 slugging percentage. You know, it was not that long ago that we remarked how, wow, Ryan Zimmerman, he's almost having as good of a season as Trey Turner is having. If you compare each guy via OPS, it's not even close anymore. Ryan Zimmerman is blowing away the season that Trey Turner is having. And Trey obviously has many more plate appearances, but Ryan Zimmerman continues to kill it in his current role. And Tuesday night was another reminder of this guy can still hit. I mean, I know you know this. You just wrote an article about it. But man, he has been so productive. I don't think we could say that enough. And another big time game for him on Tuesday night. And especially against lefties. He's been raking against lefties. 366 average, 561 slugging percentage against lefties, which he's been doing for several years now. And I think that was one of the reasons that they thought it could work well as a combo with Josh Bell, because if you're giving Zim a lot of at-bats against lefties, those are favorable matchups for him. Now, in this game, they pulled the lefty, Freed, after the Soto two-run single that I just talked about. They bring in the righty and ambush first pitch, driving it to the opposite field. So that was taking it to another level, off a righty. And that's classic Zimmerman going to right center field in the air like that. We've talked about how Davey Martinez wants them to be more aggressive with fastballs early in the count. And there you have it. First pitch of a new reliever in the game. He got a fastball and he drove it out. So that is really good. I think we're going to see him in the lineup again Wednesday because they're facing another lefty. I don't think he'll start three games in a row, but they're getting everything they can out of him. That's really good. And it's just, it's nice to see him sustaining success and really contributing for his team. These aren't empty home runs and doubles. I mean, he is producing for his team when they need him to. Absolutely. And just to amplify the point I made about the OPS, Ryan Zimmerman now, 941 OPS on the year. Trey Turner's at 854. Ryan Zimmerman is almost 100 points better than Trey Turner in terms of OPS. And Trey Turner's having a very good season. You know, the numbers have calmed down a little bit lately. But like, that's the kind of year that Zimmerman is having. And I would say this, Yes, he's been outstanding against lefty pitching, 
But if you look at the splits, he's actually done well against righty pitching too. Like this thing of he can only face left-handed pitching, like, no, actually you could have him face righty pitching a good bit. And at least so far this season, he's done a good job when facing right-handed pitching. I know they want to get Josh Bell going. Bell has gotten going to an extent. I know that with Zimmerman, less can be more, you know, given the injury history, but Davey can push it more with Zimmerman. I think that's become pretty clear. And I mean, you, you look at the plate appearance per plate appearance production by Zimmerman, it's really become difficult to justify him not playing at least a little bit more here. I, I mean, Tuesday night was just another, it was like a slap in the face of, hey, this guy's on the team. He's still really good. Get him out there at least a little bit more than what you've done so far this year. Yeah, no, look, I've been advocating for that as well. I think one more start a week in there is not going to hurt him or the team, certainly. And maybe it'll happen. Uh, like I said, he's going to probably start Wednesday. So that's two in a row. That's nice. Maybe at some point he will get a start against a righty. But hey, get everything you can out of him. Milk him for all he's worth right now, because he is really as good as he's ever been, or as good as he's been in a very long time at the plate, consistently, night in and night out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Hey everyone, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right, new users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in site credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. White Sox look like the smart play on Wednesday afternoon as Lance Lynn and his 137 ERA take on Cleveland's Eli Morgan, a righty who got lit up last weekend in his Major League debut. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT. 
to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Here's the old one. Swing a line drive left field. This one hangs up, and a shoestring grab attempted by Almonte, but he trapped it, so it's a base hit. Soto will score from third, Castro into second, and it's an RBI single the other way for Schwarber. Nationals lead 7-4. Another guy I wanted to make mention of is Kyle Schwarber. The rise of Schwarby continues. Two for four, two RBI singles into walk on Tuesday night. He had a leadoff eight-pitch walk in the top of the second, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. He had a two-out RBI single in the top of the third. He had a one-out RBI single in the Nationals' three-run seventh inning. Kyle Schwarber finished the month of May with an 857 OPS in that month. And for all of his struggles this season, and no, I'm not a huge believer in RBI, but Kyle Schwarber is number two on the Nationals in runs batted in on the season. 25 runs batted in. Only Trey Turner has more at 27. We've discussed this, how Schwarber's been better lately, but he's gotten to a level where it's almost like this is kind of what Kyle Schwarber is. He's second on the team in runs batted in. He's got a 775 OPS on the season. You know, I don't know that you say that he's arrived just yet. Like, I think there's still more that he can give you, but he's done a good job. Like, take a step back and you look at his overall season. It's actually not that bad at this point. No, he is essentially what they thought they were getting. Now, the path to get there was a little bit downhill and then very uphill after that, but the finished product is what they thought they were getting. And in this game, both of those RBI hits came off lefties. That's a great sign. We've seen Davey trust him to face lefties. At times, I've kind of questioned that. There have been times we talk about getting Zimmerman more at bats. There have been times that I feel like Zimmerman should be pinch hitting for him late in the game against the lefty. Well, Davey has been sticking with him and he rewarded him for that in this game. Two big RBI hits off lefties. That's a nice sign that he's able to do that. And, you know, I also liked that the way the lineup was constructed for this game with Turner, Harrison, Soto at the top, Zimmerman, Castro, who I know you don't believe in as a number five hitter, but at least against the lefty, he's hitting like 333 with no power, but he's hitting 333 against him. So it allowed you to move Schwarber down. So he's not trying to hit cleanup. He's hitting sixth. Okay. Kyle Schwarber hitting six is a pretty good spot to be in. You know, that thought that worked out well. And you know, more and more, he and Josh Bell are looking like what they thought they were going to be getting from them. I, I would say the last week or so, the offensive struggles of the team have not been on Bell and Schwarber. They've been more so on Soto than anybody else, and maybe Castro to a lesser extent. Yeah, and also guys like Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes have calmed down. I mentioned Trey Turner. He's calmed down, although he had three hits on Tuesday night, three singles. Turner's not hitting for as much power as he was earlier in the year, but he is getting on base. I mean, he's having a good season. Three for five uh, was Trey on Tuesday night, three singles. Did get picked off. We're not used to seeing that. Uh, and, and unlike the last time he got picked off, he did not turn that into a stolen base. Uh, so you're not, you're not going to do that every time, I guess. And Jan Gomes, he has calmed down lately, but he had a big hit on Tuesday night that uh, went out two-run double in the Nationals' three-run seventh inning. You know, the Nats did a good job in this game attacking on runs. And when Gomes had that two-run double to get the lead to 9-4, 
That's when you felt like, all right, this is a night. Like, this is what a good offense is supposed to be. You know, you can put up nine runs in a game, and ultimately the Nats end up getting to 11. But like those tack-on runs, the likes of which we have not seen much of, uh, especially these last few weeks, you got those in this game on Tuesday night. Here's the key stat for it all. Entering this game, they had scored in only four of their previous 39 innings. That's awful. That's pathetic. Four of 39 innings. Tonight, they scored in four of the first seven innings of the game and ultimately five of the first eight. That's how you do it. You do it in multiple innings along the way. And I agreed that that Gomes double was sort of the definitive stamp on it that made you say, okay, I'm not going to say I was breathing easy. I was still convinced that this game was going to get a little bit dicey before it was over. And it kind of was a little bit, but they needed it tonight. And now we just see, okay, can they extend it? Can they do this again? We've seen this probably three, four times this year. They have a big break it out, double digit run scoring game. And you think maybe this is the sign. And then they go and get shut out or they score one or two runs the next night. So it's on them now to keep this going and not let this be the, that one little blip on the radar where they finally look good at the plate. All right, we'll do Strasburg in a moment, but I do want to address the Nationals' bullpen, which obviously had to be leaned on a ton, with Strasburg only going for an inning and a third. Ultimately, Davey Martinez utilizes six relievers. Those six relievers combined to allow five runs in seven and two-thirds innings. It was a very mixed night for the bullpen. Austin Voth relieved Strasburg. Uh, Voth tossed three scoreless innings, but then gave up two runs in a Braves three-run fifth. So Voth went from looking really good to then the outing actually ended up being not as good because he ended up giving the two runs. Sam Clay came on, faced three batters in the three-run fifth, retired the first guy he faced, but then gave up back-to-back two-out singles. Wander Suero comes in, officially tosses an inning and a third scoreless, although he did allow an inherited runner to score. Daniel Hudson gets summoned once again, and, you know, he, he's starting to look mortal now. He gives up a run in the bottom of the seventh on a leadoff double by Ronald Acuna, who the Nats could not get out on this night and have had a hard time with throughout this season. Acuna may have replaced Freddie Freeman as the ultimate Nationals killer wearing a Braves uniform at this point. But anyway, Acuna with a double, stolen base, and a two-out ribby single by Austin Riley. Then you had an ugly defensive play by Starling Castro, dropping a first-pitch infield pop-up for a fielding error that put runners on second and third two outs. Hudson, to his credit, did strike out Abraham Almonte on five pitches for the third out. Our guy Paolo Espino then was called upon, and he did what he does, put up a zero, tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth, and then Brad Hand gave us the Brad Hand experience in the bottom of the ninth, gave up a run, leadoff single by who else? Acuna, seven-pitch walk of Freddie Freeman, RBI sack fly of Austin Riley, and then a loud out to end the game, a nice play by Kyle Schwarber in left field. So there's a lot to digest with the bullpen. What kind of jumped out to you watching Davey maneuver through all these different guys to try to get this game complete with, of course, the unusual circumstance of Strasburg having only lasted for an inning and a third? Well, most importantly, who was the only one of those six relievers who retired every batter he faced? That's right. That's right. It's our guy. Our guy, Paolo, got the job done. And I thought maybe you'd let him come back for the ninth to finish it out. But I think two things there. And this is why I'm not going to go real hard on the bullpen from this game because of the circumstances of it. I think Davey, he, he needed to get at whatever he could from them in this game, but he also on Wednesday is going to be starting John Lester on short rest, and he's got to have somebody available to replace him. And so maybe holding Espino back because he may need him again on Wednesday. Obviously, Austin Voth isn't going to be appearing in that game after throwing 50 pitches in relief of Strasburg. So, I mean, this is a tough, tough spot for a bullpen. It was a grind, but 
they just had to get through this one as best as possible. And I thought the telling thing was he had Daniel Hudson warming up in the sixth inning as Suero is facing the bottom of the lineup. And I know people might have been confused by that, but to me it was obvious. He was going to make sure that Hudson faced the top of the lineup when it came up again. Acuna, Freeman, and Albies. It didn't happen the sixth. It didn't happen until the seventh. So that's why he came in for the seventh. But he was ready to go. And I thought that was a, a good example of using your best reliever in a high leverage spot against their best hitters. Didn't matter what inning it was, sixth, seventh, eighth, whatever it was, he wanted that. And then you try to bridge the gap until you go to your closer. And I think he wanted hand to face those guys in the ninth. Now, I know they gave up some runs, but the strategy behind it I liked and was something we don't always see from them in this regard. So I like that he tried to set it up where his two best relievers were going to be facing the best hitters from the other team in a game that was still kind of competitive at that point. Yeah, it was. The game never felt over. This was a crazy game back and forth. You you didn't feel like any run total was enough for the Nationals because of the way the game was playing out. Now, I'm with you on the strategy. I do think, though, like somehow, some way, they've got to figure out a way to stop using Hudson so much. I know that sounds weird. You're like, well, he's their best reliever. I know, but he's not going to continue to be their best reliever if he keeps being leaned upon like this. Hudson's coming back down to earth. Brad Hand has had his problems. We've seen a guy like Austin Voth go from being lights out to now, you know, not so much. All these guys, you know, all of the carriages are turning back into pumpkins here. And I know it's not easy. Like Davies, he's got to get more length from starters not named Max Scherzer. That's not happening. So he's he's in a tough spot with this. I, I'm sympathetic toward Davey in that regard. But Daniel Hudson, who we've come to know and love this season, he's not, to me, going to continue to be that Daniel Hudson if he keeps having to warm up. First of all, he warms up every time Suero's on the mound. That's become a thing now. We see that every time. Like the second Suero starts pitching, Hudson's warming up. And there's no way he can keep this up. Like he's an older guy. If you look at Hudson's track record, he's been an up and down guy over the years. I hope he continues to be lights out. But I think we're already seeing signs that that's probably not going to continue if he keeps being used this much. Yeah, there is a little bit of a um, deja vu here with what happened with Doolittle a few years ago when he was the only one that Davey could rely on. And it got to a point that he pitched so much that he broke down. So yes, they absolutely have to be careful with it. But the best way to avoid that is, like you said, for the starters to actually pitch deep enough so that Davey doesn't have to scramble with his bullpen every single night. And that's what's making not just this game, but the games coming up are going to be really fascinating to see how they pull this off because they are not in great shape right now. I know we'll get to the preview of the Wednesday game coming up, but there's a lot of concern there about how they're going to get these innings and how they're going to get through all this. So, you know, I think for this game, it made sense to use them the way that they did in the bigger picture. Yes, he needs to try to avoid using Hudson in hand when possible, especially when you have a lead of more than three runs. You got to have somebody else, Suero, Finnegan, whoever it is, Paolo, you know, let him pitch in those games and get you through those games without using your best arms. I want to say one real quick thing about Voth. I know you were kind of down on him here. I thought he was excellent in this game. And all that happened to him was he ran out of gas. He had to throw 50 pitches for the first time this year. And then he had to face Acuna for a second time. And we know that as a starter, Voth's biggest issue was he was great the first time through a lineup, but then couldn't be effective after that. And that's essentially what happened to him tonight in a long relief appearance. You could say, okay, don't let him face him. But again, you're in the, what, fifth inning of a game in which your starter got knocked out in the second, you've got to try at least to get what you can from both. It didn't work out to get up the home run, 
But I thought that was a pretty good effort from him tonight, all things considered under the circumstances. It's unfortunate he gave up the homer, but I don't think he's going to be in that position too often, having to face a big hitter like Acuna twice in the same game. Both also had a hit on Tuesday night, a leadoff infield single on a 1-2 pitch in the Nationals' four-run fourth. You know Davey was high-stepping when that happened. You see, I bat the pitcher eighth, and look what he does. He leads off an inning with a hit. Uh, I can't stand that Davey keeps doing that, but whatever. Nats did score 11 runs, so the offense was not the problem on Tuesday night. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. If you've been listening to this podcast and you know for well over a month, I've been telling you every single day about this. And let me tell you, it has helped me with sleep so much. Due to this podcast schedule, my sleep hours are a little unusual to say the least, but Sunday Scaries has saved the day for me in 2021. If you want some yourself, go to the website, sundayscaries.com. They got plenty of options for you. Check out their products. They have gummies, oil, candy, bath bombs, so much more. Check it out. And Nat Chat Podcast has you covered as well for your first order. When you go to check out, type in the promo code NATSCHAT. Again, the promo code NATSCHAT to save 25% off your first order. So again, go to sundayscaries.com. Check it out. Look what you want. When you go to check out, type in the promo code NATSCHAT to save 25% off your first order. And it'll be on your way and you'll sleep better than you have in years. His trap was getting tight. He's going to get an MRI tomorrow. All right. Steven Strasburg. There is the micro and there is the macro. We'll deal with the micro first. He did not look good. He did not look right from basically the get-go on Tuesday night. Ultimately allows a run in one and a third innings. Bottom of the first gives up a run. Lead-off four-pitch walk of Ronald Acuna Jr. Stolen base by Acuna. One-out RBI double by Ozzie Albies. Strasburg in the bottom of the second issues a leadoff five-pitch walk of Abraham Almonte. Then induces a ground out by William Contreras, but Strasburg then gets pulled after just 30 pitches, just 14 of which were strikes. This is kind of a sneaky thing with Strasburg's first two outings off the 10-day injured list. He was not throwing strikes. If you look at what he did over those two games, 88 strikes versus 71 balls a near one-to-one ratio of strikes to balls. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It should be at least two-to-one, if not better than that. Strasburg wasn't close to that over his first two outings off the IL. And then in this game, he ends up having, again, 14 strikes versus 16 balls. The velocity was down. His four-seam fastball was registering in like, you know, the high 80s, low 90s. Like a bunch of the four-seamers were around like 89 miles per hour. So something clearly was off. I know Davey said to you guys after the game, right trapezius muscle tightened up. I, I got to tell you, I've been following sports a long time. I know you have too. I can't recall anyone else who ever had more right trap problems than Strasburg had. Like the, the right trapezius muscle issues that Strasburg has had over the years really are something else. But I guess what? MRI exam and we'll see. We, we, we don't really know. It, it feels like this thing could end up being something totally different than what we were told it was on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think this is a symptom of something larger to be honest, and something that's probably been going on for quite a while. Let's start with the micro like you were talking about. You could tell on the first batter of the game that he wasn't right. And that's why Davey and Paul Lassard, their head trainer, went out to the mound four pitches in to check on him. And they let him stay in. He convinced them that he was okay. But it never quite looked right. And I agree with you, those last two starts, he was getting away with having awful fastball command. And that was the same thing here tonight. He was able to get through that last start against the Reds because his curveball was outstanding. 
he never really got a chance to get to that point in this game because he was so off. And the mechanics are off. You see him falling off to the side like he was before. Now, he believes that all of this starts with bad mechanics, and that is then leading to maybe whatever he's feeling in his shoulder slash neck slash upper back, whatever it is. I don't know if it's chicken or the egg, which, you know, which caused what, but it is clear that he is not right. And it is clear that they need to now shut him down and try to figure out what they can do to get him somewhat resembling close to right again. Uh, I don't know what the MRI is going to show. I'm not even sure it matters what the MRI shows. I think it would be foolish of them. If, if he gets a clean test here, I think it would be very foolish of them just to send him back to the mound in five days. This is twice now this year that he's had to be pulled because clearly the velocity was way down. Those pitches you were talking about, the upper 80s, they were registering an MLB system as change-ups Tuh. because MLB just assumes it throws in the mid-90s, and so anything that low must be a change-up. They weren't. They were fastballs. He couldn't throw it any harder than that. That is a terrible sign for the state of things right now. So, yeah, they need to shut him down regardless of what the MRI says and really figure out what's going on here and try to get him to a, a point where he can pitch effectively again they're going to have to take their time with it. I don't think we're going to see him again for a while, and they're going to have to find a way without him in their rotation. So when he was on the 10-day injured list for about a month, the Nats put him on the 10-day IL on April 18th, retroactive to April 15th, with what was called right shoulder inflammation. He doesn't come off the IL till May 21st, so he missed more than a month on the IL. Were they not testing him? Were they not exploring him then? Did they just kind of say, all right, your shoulder's inflamed, just you know, rest for a few weeks and then you, we'll crank you back up? Like All these tests and, and this exploration that they're going to undergo now, did they not do those things when he was out for a month plus? No, I think they knew what part of his body was bothering him. I think that was pretty clear. It's in the general vicinity of the shoulder slash upper back slash neck. And it's not the first time he's had to deal with these things. So the fact that they had such a generic term for his injury last time, shoulder inflammation, kind of told me that they knew it's something else and they may not be able to ID it exactly, but that he's not right up there. And, you know, go back to that illegal video stream in the dugout tunnel in St. Louis, where he's kind of playing around with that part of his upper back, upper shoulder. Gee, maybe there really was something going on there. I think we can now say clearly he wasn't feeling right there. And that's been an issue for him throughout this year. And maybe it was even bothering him last year. And it's all connected to the carpal tunnel that he dealt with. I mean, I just, I feel like all this stuff is connected in some way. And, you know, they can come up with a a specific diagnosis of what this is right now, but it's all ultimately the same thing. That is, he is not right physically, and he's going to have to find a way to get right physically, or else he's not going to be pitching much for them for a while. And, um, They're paying him a lot of money not to pitch for him, if that's the case. Yes, and that brings us to the macro. It is impossible to talk Strasburg, to think about Steven Strasburg, and to not view him through the prism of the contract. Seven years, $245 million. He gets resigned to that December 2019 off the all-time performance he had in the 2019 postseason, World Series MVP, etc. Very few people had a problem with that contract. I'm not going to be a phony. I was not anti the Nationals re-signing Strasburg. But right now, the contract looks like an absolute disaster. There's no other way to put it. You gave a seven-year, $245 million deal to a pitcher already in his 30s 
already with a bunch of mileage on his arm and already with a lengthy injury history. Like, take away his name, take away what he did in the 2019 postseason. This, in so many ways, is like a red flag, a cautionary tale for what you're never supposed to do in free agency. Pay a guy in his 30s with an injury history, someone who already has a bunch of mileage on his body. Like, so many people would tell you, what what are you doing even thinking about doing that? And yet the Nationals did do that. And we get why they did that. It's not about, well, he doesn't deserve the money. It's about in a sport in which, no, there's no salary cap, but yes, there are budgets. If you're paying a bunch of money to one guy and he's not delivering, that's going to hinder you when it comes to trying to address other issues with the ball club. That's why it matters who you pay what in baseball, even though there isn't a salary cap. And of course, there is a luxury tax threshold. As wonderful as the Max Scherzer big money contract has been, right now, and things can change, I'll grant you that, but right now, this Strasbourg contract looks to be the polar opposite. This looks to be like a complete debacle at this point. And, you know, Mike Rizzo will never say it, nor should he, but I'm sure if he could wave a magic wand and undo that re-signing, he'd do that in a heartbeat right now. You got two starts from Strasbourg last season. You've gotten three starts from him this season. He has never looked right over the last few years. Guys, as they get older, especially pitchers with injury histories, they don't get healthier. They get less healthy, if anything. You know, at best, they stay the same. It's not like all of a sudden he's going to become a pillar of durability. He's not going to become LeVon Hernandez all of a sudden. This is really concerning here. You got five years to go after this season on that Strasburg contract. I'm going to take it a step further back and say, here's what Mike Rizzo, deep down, if he wishes he could go back in time, take the DeLorean back and uh, change history. Here's what he would have done. Not given him the opt-out in the previous contract. That's what ultimately screwed them. They gave him a seven-year deal, however many years ago it is now, and it included an opt-out after the 2019 season. And Lo and behold, he ends up having the best season of his career, pitches fantastically in the postseason, wins the World Series MVP, and on the night of the parade, Scott Boris opts his client out. That was the date to do it. It, it, it wasn't like some kind of like uh, sticking his middle finger up to the Nationals to do that. And it was completely within their rights to do that. And that's why you include those opt-outs, because you just had the season of your life, and now you have the ability to get an even better contract for even more money and lock yourself up deep into your 30s when if he had just played out the original contract, he would never get anything like that. So I don't fault them for that. But boy, that opt-out ultimately is what's going to cost them. Without that, he's now in year five of seven of the original contract. And we're saying, well, all right, it's not going so well. And these next couple of years could be rough. But hey, at least he won them the World Series. And they're just kind of having to pay the piper now for a few years. Instead of saying, they've got five more years now of this at a higher salary in a manner that is going to hamstring them from doing other things. And for an organization that has not developed its own young pitching, which is what you need to supplement when you're spending so much on these couple of guys, you need to have cheap pitching to go along with it. And the problem is they don't have cheap pitching. And so if they need to address their rotation at any point here, they're going to have to spend money on somebody else. So that puts them in a really bad spot for the long term. But to me, the mistake, and I I don't even know if I want to call it a mistake, but the thing you wish you could have back was the opt-out in the original deal because that's what set everything else in motion. So opt-outs were very popular at the time. Strasburg re-signed in season. That was in May 2016. It was a stunner because you never see Scott Boris clients do it. And I'll never forget the press conference at which the contract extension was announced. And Boris had this look on his face of, I can't believe 
um, allowing one of my clients to do this. That, that is like a mortal sin in the mind of Boris that a big money player that you have on the verge of free agency doesn't actually enter into free agency. My question would be this. Do you think the Nats could have done an in-season extension had they not offered the opt-out in that deal in 2016? No, I think that probably was mandatory in, in Boris's mind. I'm not sure Stephen understood that or grasped the importance of it. But yeah, that that's the trade-off right there for agreeing to a deal before you became a free agent and could talk to other teams. And you see Boris do this, and look, he's brilliant. He, he is great at what he does. He may be the bane of, of a lot of people's existence, but he is so good at what he does, and that's one of the reasons, is that he can take a deal like that and make sure an opt-out's included and recognize that what it's ultimately going to do is it's going to buy you a few years, and then if your client performs, you can now opt out of it and get a better deal either from the same team or hit the free agent market. And now that's protecting him all the way through his 30s to the point that he's never going to have to worry about being a free agent again and getting another contract. The last thing you want as an agent is to have a client become a free agent at age like 34. You're not getting anything at that point. But if you can get an extension with an opt-out at age 31, now that has him set for the rest of his life. And that was the key to it from his standpoint. Steven Strasburg is in the second season of a 70-year, $245 million deal. Patrick Corbin is in the third season of a six-year, $140 million deal. Neither deal looks great right now. We'll see where we're at as the season moves forward. But it does make you so appreciate Max Scherzer, 70 years, $210 million. The extent to which Max has not only lived up to that contract, but exceeded that contract. Well, game three at the Braves, Wednesday night at 7.20. This is going to be a fascinating watch for a very specific reason. John Lester, the oldest pitcher in the Nationals rotation, is going to be starting on three days rest for just the fourth time in his career. That includes regular season and postseason. Go figure, right? The oldest guy is the guy who gets called upon to do something like this. But of course, Lester has been an innings eater for years, so it's not exactly a stunner that Lester ends up being the guy to do this. And, you know, Mark, it's interesting in John's last outing, that 6 2 7 inning loss to Milwaukee at Nationals Park on Saturday night, he only went four innings, one run in four innings. Do you think that was on purpose in, in, in a way? I, I know Lester kind of labored to get through the four innings, 74 pitches, but that Davey maybe had it in the back of his mind that maybe he was going to have to do this with Lester for this game against the Braves? Or is this just coincidence and it kind of worked out conveniently to where Lester could start on three days rest? I think maybe in the back of his mind somewhere he thought about it. I mean, he still threw 74 pitches in four innings. So it's not exactly like he was so efficient and they surprisingly pulled the plug on him. I think their hope was at that point that Eric Fetty would be ready to come back now. And I think this is an interesting thing too in the bigger picture here, which is they're saying that Fetty, having thrown a four-inning, 65-pitch simulated game, also on Saturday, they don't want to call him back up to start when would essentially be short rest for him too. They want him to be stretched out and he's going to make a rehab start for Wilmington on Thursday where he's going five or six innings and maybe approaching 90 pitches. You're not doing that with a guy you're expecting to put in the bullpen. And this is before the Strasburg injury happened, okay? Uh, obviously now, he, he, Fetty ultimately ends up in the rotation, but before they knew that Strasburg was hurt. They were already making plans for Fetty to rejoin the rotation, so much so that they are going to send him on a rehab assignment first. So that tells me what they think about Eric Fetty right now, and they're being very protective of him. So the flip side of that is they've got to somehow get through this next game with Lester on short rest. So I looked it up. 
you mentioned he's done it three times before, once in the postseason. He's only done it once in the last decade. So most of the time it was earlier in his career when he was with the Red Sox. He also more recently had pitched in the playoffs on three days rest out of the bullpen and actually did it against the Nationals in uh, the division series in 2017. But if you take all those six appearances that he's done in his career on three days rest, he's got a 3.20 ERA, 1.382 whip. Not awful. In his three starts, he averages five and two-thirds innings and 92 pitches. So I don't know what we can really expect from him, but he's going to give you whatever he's got. This is why they have him on the team. And then you turn to whoever you need in your bullpen to get through this and try to get through this game. But even with all that, they're still facing a dilemma for the next time Strasburg's turn comes up in the rotation, which I think is Sunday in Philadelphia. And I don't know what they're going to do there because Fetty can't make that start if he starts Thursday in Wilmington. So they may have to do some kind of rejiggering of the whole rotation here to make this work. They've got some issues to figure out and a lot of innings to cover over the next uh, week or so. We've talked about lack of depth, especially lack of pitching depth, and it's really popping up here with, with, with what's going on with the Nationals. And, you know, you, you think about the next few games here now, too. Lester on short rest on Wednesday night, Patrick Corbin on Thursday afternoon. And, I mean, who the heck knows what to expect from him right now? You had to utilize six relievers in this win on Tuesday night. Where are you going to be at from a bullpen standpoint here? moving forward. You know, you, you still got uh, ways to go until the Nationals' next off day. This pen could be running on fumes over the course of the next five, six days. Yeah, no, and that's why I said, I think that's why he was trying to push both as much as he could in that game. I think we'll probably have to see Paolo Espino on Wednesday. They'd probably make a roster move here at some point, call up uh, Kyle McGowan again, who gets sent up and down every couple of days. You know, maybe they find a way to get Tanner Rainey off the active roster. If Strasburg goes on the IL, that's a spot they can give to somebody maybe for a few days until Fetty comes back. So I think you're going to see some roster maneuvering here in the next 48 hours to help them get through all this. But one day at a time, you get what you can out of Leicester, figure out how you're going to get through Wednesday's game, and then you get through that and now decide, okay, what are we going to do on Thursday? Braves are starting Drew Smiley on Wednesday night. He has not been good this season. 595 ERA over eight starts. I know the Nats have struggled against bad pitchers at times, but maybe, just maybe, you can make it two consecutive games in which to score more than three runs. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter. There's a lot to chew on right now if you're a Nationals fan. At Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, we are with you after every Nationals game throughout the season. Win or lose, we are here for you. So much happens day in, day out in a baseball season. And what went down on this Tuesday uh, really perfectly captures that. There was a lot going on with the Nationals over the last 24 hours. Don't forget to send us your voice memos, uh, whatever you want to say about the Nats, whatever questions you have about the Nats. Record yourself asking a question, making a comment into your smartphone, and then you can email that to us, natschatpodcast at gmail. All Nationals highlights on the Nats Chat podcast are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. 2-1 coming home. Fastball hit to left field on a line. That's a base hit toward the line. Scoring is both. Headed to the plate is Harrison. Hilf scores. The throw is cut off by Riley. It's a two-run single left for Juan Soto. And the Nationals lead 4-1. Big clutch hit for Soto. And the Nationals now lead by three.